This morning we're taking a look at Colossians chapter 3. And it's important for us to realize as we move into Colossians 3 and 4 is that Paul has been driving home the same message throughout the book of Colossians, particularly in the first two chapters of Colossians. He's been trying to help the Colossian believers to see that in Christ they have everything that they need. That in Jesus Christ, by virtue of his death, burial, and resurrection, that act of Christ, for those of us who have trusted Christ as our Savior, Jesus, in his death, burial, and resurrection, has provided us with everything that we need, not only to get right with God initially, but to grow in our walk with Jesus Christ. The believers in Colossae were facing false teachers who were saying you needed to add to Christ, you needed to follow certain rules, you needed to follow Sabbath day or the new moon festivals or some kind of celebrations or festivals. You you had to have an esoteric experience of some kind. You need to practice ascetic practices, fasting and so on. Plus Christ is the only way to grow. And Paul says over and over again, Jesus Christ plus nothing. Now in Colossians 3 and 4, Paul is going to begin to give us commands that that show us how we ought to live. And this is where I find so many of us get confused. When Paul describes how we should behave, as he will throughout Colossians 3 and 4, we can start trying real hard to obey these commands. And we can start to depend upon ourselves. Yes, thank you, Jesus. You got me into life with you. But now it's up to me to obey all these commands in order to grow in Christ. And some of you begin to evaluate how well you're doing, how much God loves you in light of how well you perceive you are obeying. This is not what Paul is driving at. Others of you will, will get tired of trying to obey and you'll say, you know what, I'm just going to water down these commands so that I, you know, I kind of, I'm doing okay. But that's also not what Paul is driving at. What Paul is trying to show us is how the gospel is the foundation for our transformation. He's trying to help us understand that we have a new gospel identity because of what he has done. And that is the foundation to lead a new life to be transformed in our walk with Jesus Christ. So what I want to attempt to do this morning is to look at two foundations of our gospel identity that is absolutely crucial for us to get a handle on in order then to be propelled by grace and by the gospel to live this new life that Paul begins to describe. So the first foundation, and really it's all one identity, but I've broken it up just to to, to kind of give us a logical progression. But what I want us to look at first is the new personal identity, the new personal gospel identity, which is wrapped up in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that all of us who've trusted Christ in have. So let's take a look at at this, beginning in uh, verses 1 through 4 and 9 through 11. Paul describes... 
this foundation that our personal identity is wrapped up in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So take a look at verse 3. We'll get to all four verses in a second. But he says in verse 3, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When God brings you to Jesus Christ, and you put your faith and confidence in Jesus Christ, what happened to Jesus Christ spiritually has now happened to you. Paul describes it in verse 3. You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died to sins once for all. And because you've put your faith and confidence in Christ alone, you too, in Christ, have died to the power and guilt of sin. You died to it. Jesus Christ died for sins once and for all, and so did you in Christ. What happens to Christ has happened to you. And now Paul says, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Meaning, your life is protected in God. Meaning, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because you died spiritually with Christ when he died when you came to faith. I think that phrase, your life is hidden with Christ in God, can also mean not only are you protected, but in a real sense, who you are in Christ, this new identity, will not necessarily be fully, uh, fully manifested until Jesus Christ returns. We'll get to that in a minute. Now, we've also participated in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ... And he goes on to say, seek the things that are above, which we'll get to in a minute. But if you have been raised with Christ, and the way the Greek grammar would read, since you have been raised with Christ. You have been raised with Christ. So this means that who we once were in Adam died. We died to the power of sin in Jesus, but we also were raised to new life in Jesus so that we have the power to live a new life because we are not the person we once were before we came to Christ. You can read about this a little bit more in in Romans chapter 6, but it talks about you died with Christ, yes, but also you were raised with Christ to live a new life. Verse 4 says, when Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Meaning that... When Jesus Christ returns, you will will be changed and you will experience the fullness of your salvation when you become like Jesus Christ fully, free from the very presence of sin, when Christ returns again and you are resurrected. In other words, everything that Paul describes about our gospel identity, our personal gospel identity... These things are true of us because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We don't earn these, this identity. We don't work for this identity. And we cannot lose that identity even when we struggle in our walk with Christ. This identity is still true of us because it was accomplished in Christ when he died, was buried, and rose again. Our life is wrapped up in Jesus Christ plus nothing. That's what he says in verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, everything about who you actually are is wrapped up in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And of course, it's not just the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's also we are connected to the ascension of Christ. Look at verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. There is a sense in which when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are spiritually connected to Jesus Christ who is in heaven right now, seated at the right hand of God, ruling the universe, and the Spirit of God living inside you connects you to that reality. And so we are not only spiritually connected to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but we are also connected to the ascended Christ. And all of this was done for us. None of this was done by us. None of this can be altered if you have a bad week spiritually. None of this can be altered because it's all what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so, in verse 1, when Paul encourages us to seek the things that are above, or in the beginning of verse 2, he says, set your minds on things that are above, Paul is not saying, I want you to somehow have this esoteric experience where you sort of visualize this hoped-for reality. Paul is simply saying, set your mind on the things above, seek the things above. It's not really something you're doing, although you need to contemplate these realities. He's saying, simply believe the gospel reality that has changed your life completely. You're not being asked to do something in your own strength. We are being told to simply believe, to reflect, to internalize what is actually true of us because of the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul is going to tell us about some sins that we need to put off, that we need to put off and we need to put to death. Next week, we'll look at things we need to put on. I'm going to get to that in just a minute, but I want us to see even more depth to this understanding that our gospel identity accomplished by Christ is now who we actually are. Notice at the verse 9, at the end of verse 9, he's just gone through this list of sins we need to put off. And then he goes on to say, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. What Paul is saying there is, is you, you have put off the old self and because you are identified with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Who you were in Adam has been crucified on the cross. You are now a new person by virtue of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that new self that is now who you really are in Christ, accomplished by Christ himself, is being renewed. That's passive, not being renewed by you. It's being renewed by God himself to the Holy Spirit. And so what you have here in this text is, although Paul is going to tell them to put off these sins, and, and they need to do that, and we need to do it as well, what Paul is saying is, 
You're not obeying to earn your position in Christ. You're not obeying to earn this gospel identity. You already have the gospel identity. And so when, when Paul tells us to put off these things, he's not saying you need to work really hard and you need to gin up your own human power to do these things. He's saying you are a new person in Christ. You have a new gospel identity. And so when he makes these commands to put off certain things, and next week we'll look at putting on certain things, he's saying, I want you to be who you already are. He's not asking you to to do something contrary to your nature. He's saying, you're a new person, believe it, believe what I accomplished there, and now I want you to live more consistently with who you already are. And this, I suspect, for many of you, is hard for you to get your head around. But this is how the gospel changes us. Another way to put it is you have to, if you want to have the gospel change you, you have to start with the indicative, okay, the indicative mood, which is a statement of fact. You've got to start there and believe who you are before you start working on the commands or the imperatives. It's precisely knowing what God has done for you in Christ that when you see that and when you seek that and when you set your minds on it, that is the foundation to then begin to follow the commands so that your obedience to commands is not based on your power, your strength. It's not trying to earn anything. You already have The fullness of the gospel has been given to you in Jesus Christ so that when you obey, you're simply living out who you already are and all of that is motivated by grace. And I think this is really hard for many of us to see clearly. I think many of us are are sort of, we want to do something. Now you you do need to obey this, but probably the most important thing you could do this afternoon if you are dealing with a temptation to sin that's been been hounding you lately is to spend more of your time focused in seeking the things that are above, reminding yourself of who you actually are in Christ first. And then let that identity begin to change you by grace. And sometimes this is some of the hardest things for us to see. A number of years ago, many years ago, I I had contact lenses. And those of you who know me know that I'm not the most detailed person and I'm not really good at fine motor skills. What's happening to the office at Stonehill Church is there has been an outbreak of knitting and crocheting that is taking place among many staff members. I would encourage you to pray about that. I'm concerned about it. I can't do that. It's too tedious. But I struggled to get the contact lenses under my eyes. But I liked it because I didn't have the glasses, so I I enjoyed it. But it was one particular morning, and I wish I could say this only happened one time, but one particular morning, I put my contact lenses in, and uh, I could tell almost immediately I still can't see out of my left eye very well. And I'm very frustrated by that. And I'm like, you know what, just forget the contact lenses. But I spent so much money to get them, I felt like, well, i got to try to make this work. 
And so I'm trying to adjust the contact lens only to discover whether, it, it, well, maybe it, it, I started to realize it doesn't look like there's a contact lens in my left eye. Then I begin a, a, a massive search and rescue effort to find the contact. I'm looking into the drain with a flashlight. I'm try, I've unscrewed the plumbing so I could maybe find it at the, you know, inside the plumbing. I'm looking everywhere for it. I'm really frustrated. I'm starting to, to be going to be late for work and everything else. And then, and then what starts to happen is my right eye begins to be uh, filled with massive amounts of pain. Now I can't see out of the right eye. 20 minutes go by. And I finally discover that the problem is I've got two contacts in the right eye. No contacts in the left eye. Hard to see. It's right there in front. I think we have the same problem even as believers. We, we've sung all these songs about grace already. We come, O Christ, to... Come, O Christ, to thee. We, we, say, we sing, all I have is Christ. And yet, what we often do in trying to live the new life, we try to live it in our own strength, in our own power. We're trying to, through some uh, sort of increase in our, in our will, live this new life without connecting it to the new gospel identity that has made us completely different people. And even when we struggle and fail, we tend to confess our sin. I hope you do that. That's right. But, but then we tend to say, well, I, I, I got to get busier and I got to work harder. Instead of going back and reminding yourself that even though you may have struggled and succumbed to temptation in the last 20 minutes, you are still identified with Christ. You died to the power of sin in Christ. You have been raised to new life. Your fundamental identity as a person shaped by the gospel is based on what Christ did, not on what you do. And it's still true even when you are inconsistent and in living out who you actually are in Christ. And yet this is what we talk about every week at Stonehill. I want to encourage all of you to reflect more deeply on who you are in Christ. Think about the, how the death, burial, and resurrection and the ascension of Christ has changed your fundamental identity. And do this more often and more frequently so that you can allow your gospel identity to express itself in obedience based on grace not effort on your part. This and only this is the pathway forward to be changed by the power of the gospel. Now briefly, I want you to see the, the sins that uh, Paul says in light of who we are in Christ, we should put off. He says in verse 5, put to death therefore what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality. This would be behavior contrary to God's standard. That intimacy is for a man and a woman in the context of marriage. Impurity is any kind of thinking that is impure. Passion is talking about the desires that, that run around in your heart and mind. 
evil desires. Maybe you don't do anything, but you thought a lot of stuff in your mind. And then it's interesting, it ends up with covetousness, which is called, uh, which is called idolatry. Now that covetousness may be, in, in light of the, the sort of the sexual sins that are mentioned there, maybe the idea of coveting someone else for your own uh, purposes, for your own selfish purposes, but it can also potentially mean any time we want something so much, what Paul says, that is greed, that is idolatry. We're never going to be able to put those things off by trying harder. You're never going to be able to put those things off simply by working harder or, or ginning up some kind of, uh, you know, get your will to be, to be more engaged. You're only going to be able to put those things off if you remember who you already are because of the gospel. And of course, when Paul talks about covetousness, which is idolatry, which would, would include all sin, it's when we want something that, in a way that does not honor God, or we want something too much even, even if it's a good thing, we want it, it becomes idolatry. And we begin to live inconsistently with who the gospel has already made us to be. I thought a lot about this, this word greed and covetousness. I... Uh, for the first two years, my granddaughter, Haley, was alive. I, I actually, I, I was started to wonder if maybe the fall of man had not affected her. And then she turned two. And I realized that sin had been passed by my son-in-law and by my daughter, mostly. But Haley has gotten into this phrase that she likes to say, one of my most favorite words, is mine. Everything's mine in Haley's world. But it's not simply that she says mine, it's the way she says it. If you take a book away from her, she goes, mine! It's scary. <laughs> the other day, my daughter was telling me she was at next door, and there was another younger boy there, a little bit younger than her, and the little boy, uh, and the mom was telling the little boy, hi, Soren, we're, we're going to take you to the, to the library today. And, and, and what, my, what my sinless, I thought, granddaughter said was, that's my library. <laughs> well, he can come too. It's my library. My, it's a public library. It's mine. It's kind of cute when it's two, when, it, when a two-year-old does it. It's frankly heinous when we do it as adults, is it not? But we're never going to rid ourselves of our self-absorption if all we're going to do is try harder or try to earn God's love by being less selfish. We will only make progress if we set our minds on who we actually are because of Christ. That is the foundation for a gospel, grace-oriented motivation to put off any sin, including the ones that Paul has mentioned. Just briefly, I want to look at the second foundation, which is all part of the... Uh, it's all part of our... Uh, 
identity in Christ, but I want to look at the community identity. We looked at the personal identity, but there's also a community identity that has changed us because of the death, burial, and resurrection. Let's look at the end of verse 9 again. He's put off the old self with his practices. You put on the new self. You're a new person because of the gospel, because you're identified with the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Christ. And that new self, this new person that you have been made to be by Christ is being renewed so that you become more like who you actually are after the image of its creator. But then Paul moves into this community identity. He says, but for believers in Christ, there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. Well, Paul is trying to say that when you come to Christ, because of the gospel, because of his death, burial, and resurrection, and his ascension, all of us, no matter where we came from, no matter all the differences that we may have had because of our background, our religious background, our religious background, our, our, our ethnicity, our socioeconomic status, all of that has been made secondary because Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, has put us into this new humanity, the church of Jesus Christ, where the old earthly ways that typically divide us have all been made secondary because our unity is centered in Jesus Christ. Notice what he says at the end, but Christ is all and in all. Notice these pairs of words, right? There's neither Greek nor Jew. You know, a major uh, sort of way to divide the world at that point. That has become secondary. Circumcised and uncircumcised, your religious background, that has become secondary. Barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, all of that, secondary. And what's fascinating about this is, you know, the slave or free, that's the, the way the socioeconomic classes would have been, either free or a slave. Now, I'll get to slavery a little bit later on in Colossians, but slavery back in Rome, Roman Empire, was a little bit different than the chattel slavery of, uh, that was introduced into the United States. It's a little bit different, but those same kind of divisions and explo exploitation could certainly and did certainly take place. What's fascinating about this is because Paul puts slave or free all on the same plane because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that idea to put everybody on the same plane was the foundational theological point that actually brought slavery to cease in the Roman Empire. And in fact, it was Christians primarily in Europe twice eradicated slavery from Europe precisely because of what Paul teaches here in that we are now part of a new community. And Jesus Christ is the centerpiece of that unity. It's easy, because we live in the world, we tend, to, all of us, tend to look at the people that are like us on an earthly, uh, sort of an earthly divisions, and we seem comfortable in those, with, with people who are like us. 
Paul is saying all of those things that typically divide us are now secondary because Jesus Christ is supreme and Christ is all in all and it's Jesus Christ that brings, brings us into unity with one another. Now that is a radical idea. And I think sometimes we look at the church, all churches, including Stonehill, and we look at the church and we say, oh, there's a bunch of you know, sinful Christians bumping into each other. Good grief. How can it be? My dad was a pastor. He said these things off and on. He said, I love the church. He told me, I love the church. I'm a pastor, except for the people. I mean, he said that. But another way to look at it is to look at it in terms of our gospel community identity. I mean, look what you see here. These are not the people you would have chosen to be your best friends. And what God had to do to get us into this room in 2024, I mean, I, mean, I was born in Oklahoma. We were told never to go to New Jersey <laughs> or New York. I don't know how God got me to here, but he did. But some of you weren't even born anywhere near this place, but here you are. And we have all kinds of different things that the world typically divides up, but it doesn't matter. Some of you have a lot of money. Some of you have very little money. Who cares? We're in Christ. Some of you have a lot of education. You've been educated far beyond your intelligence. I've had PhD grads tell me that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, this is not pejorative. Some of you didn't have a high school education. We're all identified by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And therefore, that makes us closer together than any of the differences that might, on a worldly, earthly manner, separate us. And what we have here, people from all over the world, people of different socioeconomic classes, we, uh, the, the different, uh, uh, you know, different kinds of jobs, different kinds of education. All of that is secondary. Because Jesus Christ has brought us together by his death, burial, and resurrection. And that brings us closer together than any of the other ways that the world would separate people. And of course, you have to believe that about your gospel identity. When you look at someone else in this church who may be very different from you in all kinds of ways, that person is actually closer to you because Jesus Christ has brought them in to this new community and brought you into the community. You know what it cost God to get us into this room? He had to die for us for crying out loud. He shed his own blood so that we could be together. And that should change the way you view yourself in this church. You are a vitally important member of this church. And it's, it's not based on what you do and, and, and how much money you have and where you went to school. It's based on the fact that Jesus Christ poured out his grace on you. And therefore, you have a vital role to fulfill here. But it also means when you look at anyone else in this church, it's also true of them. And Paul says, in light of that community identity and your personal identity in Christ, in verse 8 he says, in light of that, you must put them all away. And what does he talk about? These are, 
These are sins that affect the community. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouths. Do not lie to one another. You must put them all away. Anger. We li- do you realize we live in a very angry world today? It's angry about everything. Should not be the case here. Why? Because we've been put here by the grace of God together. You put off wrath and Malice, you know, malice is is sort of thinking negatively about someone else. That is not the way it ought to be here in the body of Christ. Slander, talking negatively about someone else without going to them first. Do not lie to one another. We're straight up with each other. part Part of not lying to each other is to share honestly what we're struggling with. And if you base your identity, your gospel identity on what Christ has done for you, and that identity cannot be altered or changed because you didn't do anything to receive it, if, if that's true, your gospel identity, you, you should be able to be far more transparent than you probably are. Because whatever struggles you have does not change who you are in the body of Christ or who you are in relationship to Christ. So let me pray for us that we could believe that we would set our minds on this gospel identity, both personally and corporate and community, that we would seek the things that are above. And once we understand and believe those things more consistently, let that gospel and grace propel you to become more consistent with who you already are in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we need to believe the gospel, not simply to come to a right relationship with it, we need to believe the gospel every single minute of every single day. And when we do that, Lord, by your grace and by your power, you will make us more like Jesus Christ. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen.